0: Limerick today with Joe Nash on live ninety five.
1: We're chatting about the mother and baby homes report, which is due to be published a little bit later today, and uh, we have on the line journalist Alison O'Reilly, who's done great work on this. Uh, former UL professor Thomas Garavan and Annette Mackay. Um, Annette, uh, you have a deep personal connection to this too. Uh, tell us about it.
0: Uh, Good morning, Joe. Good morning, morning, Thomas. Good morning, Alison. Good morning. Um, Yes. Callum McRae described it very well, I think, as the conveyor belt of abuse. And my mother started this journey of the conveyor belt of abuse when she was 11, when her mother died, and she wasn't taken into care. She was taken to the court and sentenced to two and a half years into an industrial school uh, with her siblings, with her her sisters, and, and taken away from the brothers. And she stayed because nobody told her she could leave this place at 16. She stayed. She was raped by the caretaker in the home. And then she was sent to um, a mother and baby home where she gave birth to a little girl in um, December 1942. And the baby died. My mother wasn't with the baby. She'd been sent to yet another industrial school in Loughray. And the day the baby died, my mother was told the child of your sin is dead. And in my mother's own words, they put her on the road the same day.
1: They put her on the road? Yeah. And, and what did that mean?
0: Literally, to be to be thrown out. She, she said she was pegging washing out and a nun came and said to her, the child of your sin is dead and and you're free to go.
1: The child of your so, sin is dead?
0: She was 18 years old. What did she do? It's it's a mystery, Joe, because she she obviously found some way to get back to Galway where she had family, and um, her sisters say at various times for a few years she she existed, and she was so completely damaged and traumatised she eventually made her way to England with my older brother, who was born in Belfast. And, you know, lot, lots of my mother's stories missing. She simply wasn't able to, to wow. describe and, and talk about what had happened to her. So she came to England. She had myself and my younger sister and told nobody that story about that child till she was 70, 70 year old when my grandson was born. And she just completely broke down. And we were so surprised because my mother absolutely adored children and she couldn't cope with this new baby. And I was so worried about her. I went to see her the day after and she was just broken and talking about my baby, my baby. And she kept that secret from 18 years old to 70.
1: Could you imagine that? That's extraordinary. It's like something from the 10th century rather than the 20th century, in all honesty.
0: It's, it's, it's traumatised me more these past few days because m- my hope for this report is that the spotlight goes back to where it should be completely on the total abnegation of the Irish government and state to the church of its own citizens. Why will nobody explain to me why my mother was incarcerated from 11 years old, abused, assaulted, raped, beaten, given no care in childbirth, which left her with lifelong medical problems, trafficked, her baby died, no explanation of why a baby died from a wholly preventable disease. And so we talk, I, I go back to Ireland many times. I go to meetings with the survivors, I'm a trained, qualified counsellor in my own right. And I am so shocked that these people are expected to stand up in a public arena and talk about the abuse and torture they suffered. With no preparation, no support, there's talk today about counselling services. And as Alison says, everything will have to be done from a distance. These these people have been traumatised and re-traumatised with absolutely no justice and no support their entire life. And,
1: and, and where are you in your own mind on this state apology that's due tomorrow from the Taoiseach?
0: I want no apology. And, yeah. a, an apology is absolutely meaningless. Under under UN law, United human rights law, there are, there are five stages in, in human rights law. The, the last is an apology when every other aspect of those injustices oh, yeah. have yeah. been dealt with. An apology to come tomorrow and for people to think that mops it up and tidies it away it is complete whitewash. Uh,
2: Thomas, I can hear you agreeing. Um, absolutely. I, that's a wonderful contribution. Can I just say an apology is bloody meaningless? Because if you look back, they made one for all the previous things the cervical check crisis, all of those things, and nothing happened afterwards, nothing. And as as was rightly said there, apologies are easy words, pious platitudes. What we want? I want three things to happen. First of all, there needs to be a system of redress for all the people who are living, who are in Troom Home, and who suffered while they were there. And that redress process needs to be straightforward and simple and expedited quickly. As Alison has said, they're getting old. When this when this commission started out, five of my uh, um, relatives were alive. Three of them have passed away since. I'm lucky to have two of them still living. So they deserve to uh, be uh, looked after. So the redress issue has uh, to—that's priority number one. I don't want to hear about any apologies or anything. Number two, the whole stuff about the DNA in the tomb home needs to be sorted. I want to find out my aunt is buried in Tune Home we have no record of where she was buried other than it took me 20 years to find a death cert I eventually found a death cert which says she died in Tune Home at 12 months or 14 months of influenza so I want all of that absolutely sorted out and number three my mum and all her relatives and others like her want to know she has a big piece of her history that she knows nothing about where she was when she was there, the records for Tomb Home, which I got access to about 11 years ago to find out about my own own family, were dreadful, incomplete, pieces missing, no dates sometimes of when my siblings, my aunts went in, or my mother for that matter, but my mother's details were a bit better than some, and not clear details of when yeah. they went out, etc. Um, all of that needs to be um, all sorted, and all this hullabaloo about the data protection, all of that, that was dreadfully handled by the minister. And yeah, we that, need to that know, controversy that in
1: November. Yeah. Absolutely and, we, and we were all. talking, um, Alison Riley, to you about that. Do you think that the government needs to think very seriously today about whether tomorrow is the right time for a state apology based on the reaction of two people there? And I know others as well, but two people in that instance who have a direct connection to what went on, Alison.
3: Well, I mean I I fully agree with Ines and Thomas there and I've spoken to 45 survivors in the last 3 days who all say the same thing you have to include the survivors in the next steps there has to be an excavation those children the, the country's full of missing children and um, those children have to be found those graves have to be excavated the tomb babies are in a septic tank that's not that's not a grave that's a that's a a cesspit. Those children need to be brought out of there. They need to be identified, and they need to be given a respectful grave. And that needs to be done very quickly. In terms of the counselling and the supports, you have to include the the, the the survivors and families in those supports because a lot of it is set up by the HSE. And immediately survivors have said, "We don't want counselling from the HSE." You know, so they they've got fears of state agencies, government agencies, setting up these, you know, different departments, setting up counselling services for them. Some don't want redress, some do. Respect both, whatever they want. But they have to be all considered steps Which include the survivors and the families of these um, children.
1: One other key point, and there's so much in this that we can't get Mm. through, an awful lot of it, is the whole point of adoptions and uh, these babies and children going off to places like Mm. uh, the US um, and Mm. some to good lives, some to who knows what it was like, mm-hmm. but but again without any sense of permission, without any uh, sense that there was uh, um, any dialogue at all. They were just mm-hmm. literally ripped uh, from these over. homes and handed over.
3: Yeah, handed over. Colleen Anderson is one of them. She was three years old and she was ripped from her mother and sent over with Sister Hildegard's, who ran Sean ross same famous from the Oscar-nominated film Philomena. She was given to Sister Hildegard's um, niece And her niece suffered with a severe psychiatric illness, um, but she was also extremely violent. Now, I'm not saying the two go hand in hand in any shape or form, but that child suffered with severe abuse all her life. Um, And, you know, the idea that the commission cannot... Um, find any evidence to prove or disprove illegal adoptions, well, I'd like to know, well, what did they do? Is this based on paperwork, which they've already said um, included misleading affidavits by the nuns? I want to know, did they go to the ends of the earth to find out were these children illegally adopted? Because there are children that we know of, William Joseph Dolan being one of them, Anna Corrigan's brother, who's marked dead in the nuns' ledgers, but missing. Mm. So if he's one, how many more are those? So I think tomorrow is the, the teacher should be asking these people for forgiveness. I forget about your apology.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Limerick Woman, of course, Philomena Lee as well yeah. in, in that uh, contribution. Uh, finally, for now, Alison, mm. there are lots and lots of people listening to us this morning for whom this is as foreign as if it had happened on the other side of the world mm. 500 years ago. What would yes. you say to them?
3: This happened in your country. Women were separated from their babies because they were pregnant out of wedlock and they were treated like criminals, beaten, starved, raped, battered, cast aside. And this happened, you know, in recent years. And the last home closed in 1998. So this did happen. And it is the most shameful period of Irish history. And you will never know that your neighbour or the shopkeeper or the milkman or anyone, the solicitor... They could have all been touched by this. They could be one of those survivors. This has happened to the person standing next to you. And we need to be extremely gentle and mindful and and show a lot of care to these people because this is just the beginning now. This report is the beginning. They're going to have to deal with the shock and horror of what they already knew, but knew now. it's it's now going to be on a global scale. Everyone's going to know about what happened to these yeah. poor people. Like It's yeah. absolutely shocking.
1: Okay. all right. Well, listen, thank you for all your work on this, Alison, and for talking to us again this morning, as you have over the last few years. That's Alison O'Reilly, journalist. And thank you as well to former UL professor Thomas Garavan and to Annette Mackay, uh, both of uh, whom uh, have been touched and have personal connections uh, to uh, the mother and baby homes and that report due to be published a bit later today. Call
0: Limerick Today now on 461995.